All right, well, welcome back to our study in systematic theology. We are on number 14 of 60. <laughs> Still have a ways to go, don't we? Um, but we're getting close to the quarter mark. Um, welcome to our visitors tonight. Appreciate having you with us. Tonight we are looking at the will of God. And uh, I thought before watching our video... Uh, and then doing our, our review and discussion. Um, since it relates so well, I would talk about this book we recently read uh, for our Faithful Men's class. So Josh, I know you, you got a chance to read it. I don't know if the others have. Just do something. But um, interesting subtitle. Uh, How to Make a Decision Without Dreams, Visions, Fleeces, Impressions, Open Doors, Random Bible Verses, Casting Lots, Liver Shivers, Writing in the Sky, etc. <laughs> So um, this is written by Kevin DeYoung, and something he uh, kind of picks up on is how many people in, in our culture today are kind of paralyzed to make any kind of decision in their life, uh, whether it's a, a job or a spouse or any, anything big, because they're always so worried about, uh, are they doing uh, the will of God in their life? And uh, what is the will of God in their life? And as we see in the video um, Dr. Sproul is going to talk about how that is the uh, number one question he gets asked from genuine Christians. You know, what, what is the, how do I know the will of God? So he kind of fleshes that out. We'll look at, uh, first of all, defining the will of God and looking at that there are different um, aspects when we say the will of God. So we have to, have to refine that when we say what's the will of God, what are we exactly talking about there. But then even when we're talking about... Um, the will of God for us uh, personally, uh, how, how we can know that. Uh, I thought I'd just re quickly read uh, the introduction in this book, and you guys are welcome. It's a short, easy read um, to read it on your own if you haven't already, um, but it ties in well with what we're discussing tonight. So this is just the introduction of the book. It's been over 10 years since the release of Just Do Something. That's hardly enough time to write a ponderous essay about a relatively short book. I would never claim that this simple volume has instigated a revolution, introduced a new school of thought, or plowed new theological ground. And yet, perhaps, there is something enduring about a call to shake off passivity, follow the straightforward commands of Scripture, and just do something. What matters is that we not lose sight of the freeing and challenging message of Scripture. Namely, that when it comes to finding God's will, the Lord of the universe does not mean to hide anything from us. There are divine mysteries we will never understand this side of heaven and a myriad of ways God guides our steps here on earth. But let us not forget we serve a generous God, a loving Heavenly Father, a good shepherd. He expects us to know His will, and by His grace, He expects us and empowers us to do it. God does not send us out on a fool's errand, expecting us to discern his will like an old man listening to his aching knees to discern the weather. Rather than wallowing in pseudo-spiritual state of wandering and disease, God wants us to get about the business of living, for our good and for his glory, which means putting aside fretting about first world problems, putting one foot in front of the other and pleasing God with ordinary faithfulness. Over the past 10 years, I've heard from hundreds of people who read Just Do Something. I especially like the stories of teenagers reading the Bible with new eyes, college students moving ahead with life, couples getting married, 
retirees finding new purpose, and lots of Christians telling me they have found new freedom in obeying Christ and His Word. On the other hand, a number of young men have expressed to me their honest efforts to find work, settle down, and get married, all without success, especially on the last part. I wouldn't take anything away from my challenge to young men in the book, but I do want to make clear that we do not always have as much to show for just do something as we would like. I'm grateful to Moody for their continued support and to all of you unnamed readers who apparently continue to resonate with the cultural diagnosis and scriptural exegesis laid out in these pages. Now that my oldest children are approaching college and all the major life decisions that come with that stage of life, I feel an even more personal connection with the book. It's my prayer that God will use the truths of His Word to help them, just as I was helped by these truths 20 years ago, and just as many seem to have been helped by these truths over the past decade. Kevin DeYoung. Um, anyway, interesting read. Um, so let's listen to our, our, watch our video now, and then we will go through our overview to help us kind of uh, remember what we've learned, and then uh, begin our, our discussion. All right. Is that helpful? Everyone knows the will of God for their life now, right? <laughs> we can all go home. We have to figure it out. <laughs> all right. Let's, uh, let's go through our overview to help remind us what we've learned and uh, hopefully take it away with us. So we're looking at number 14, the will of God, introduction. Many Christians often wonder what God's will is for their lives. In discussing God's will, we must distinguish between God's revealed will and his hidden will. In this lesson, we explore these distinctions and explain how to apply them according to his word. Our overview, the most commonly asked question of Dr. Sproul is, how can I know the will of God for my life? As he explained, Deuteronomy 29.29 reads, The secret things belong to the Lord. We find this quotation in the second book of the law, during recapitulation of the law given through Moses. The hidden and the revealed will of God. Deus absconditus is Latin for the hidden, for the hidden God, and Deus revelatus is Latin for revealed God. Both these concepts are found in Deuteronomy 29.29. Um, use of the term will of God. Uh, the decretive will is what God sovereignly, absolutely, and efficaciously brings to pass. It is what he has determined will occur. The perceptive will is what God has spoken as right and true. It can be and is often frequently resisted. So, how can I know God's will depends on what kind of will you are asking about. Uh, John Calvin wrote, where God closes his holy mouth, I will desist from inquiry. In other words, the hidden will of God is none of our business. This explains the practical reasons behind God's restrictions concerning divination. What do the scriptures say? First uh, Thessalonians 4.3, For this is the will of God, your sanctification. How can we know how to live day by day and make decisions in our life? We must study the preceptive will of God, study God's law, and find a way to live that most fulfills His holy commands. Tomorrow is the surest revelation of the hidden will of God. Uh, but the things revealed belong to us. Note here to whom the revealed things belong, to us and our children. 
Even though we have the New Testament revelation of Christ, we should still use the law as it reveals the character of God. Um, so that's our overview. Now let's look at our, some of our questions. Um, question, the answers are here, but it's more of a memory aid device. So does Deuteronomy 29.29 say we cannot know the will of God? No, it's not what it says. <laughs> What describes the will by which God ordains everything that comes to pass? That was God's decretive will. What is the sinful practice to search out the future will of God? Divination. What can we do if we want to know the perceptive will of God? We study the law. In this lesson, what was emphasized to us as God's will for us? that we obey the word of God. Who said, where God closes his holy mouth, I will desist from inquiry? That was John Calvin. All right, let's look at our discussion questions. Um, and this one's kind of interesting uh, because as he talked about, the most common question is, what is the will of God for my life? So the question here is, what's the biggest question you have concerning Christianity or we can make it personal, your Christianity? Would it be the same question? Sunday school answer or anything, but you know, being converted so late in my life, I guess I've just always wondered, like, why would God choose someone so awful? You know, like, it doesn't make sense because there you run across people that don't believe in the Lord, and like, on a you know, on a worldly sense, they're very, you know like philanthropists and things like mm -hmm. that. And they're just very selfless, you know. Mm -hmm. And I understand through studying theology and reading the Bible and things that that's, it's all pointed towards themselves, worshiping for themselves, self-serving and everything. But at the same time, like, I don't know. I was a jerk and I still am. <laughs> you know? Well, that that is a big one. It's, it's the why me question, right? Yeah. Um, why would God choose to save me? Um, especially since who's more painfully aware of how broken we are than ourselves, right? Um, so uh, that that is a that's a big one. Um, one often people ask, "Why me?" Anyone else have a different answer? mystical secret thing you know where you kind of have to like sit on the mountaintop by, all by alone in mm -hmm. a cave somewhere and ponder upon these things and find the stuff within yourself and everything else and Christianity is just so clear with its direction you know it's like one of the only religions it's not the only religion I haven't studied them all but <laughs> it's like I mean like Deuteronomy 29, 29 says you know God took the time to write it all down for us you know like the biggest mm -hmm. hindrance to knowing the substance of Christianity is just ourselves. Yeah. And that's just always seems... Uh, and and yet of, in our brokenness and sinfulness, we try to make it so complicated, right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's kind of like, one of the, the, what is the biggest question you have concerning Christianity? It almost kind of seems like, I mean, there's not really a whole lot of questions out there if you really boil it down and start to think about it. You know? 
because I was, as we were listening to the video, I was trying to think because I saw the question. I was sitting there trying to think about it. Scratch, you know, search my mind, search my mind, and scratch my head. And the one that I said, that's the only question I could really think of. Mm. You know, I mean, everything else is there. I'm just I'm lazy sometimes. <laughs> Or we get to those those hidden uh, will questions, right? Which, like you said, is none of our business. So we, <laughs> why spend time pondering it? Um, I mean, I, I fall in that uh, a lot of times. You know, I think it's things that I just I don't understand. And I'm not going to understand because it wasn't revealed in His Word, and um, yet I still keep coming back to it. How does that work? <laughs> It becomes less clear for you sometimes, you know. Mm. You, you have a, or, or the big decision, but especially in the trial, there's a, there's a limit, uh, you know, to what we can know sometimes. You know, we mm. feel like we have to know now what next step I must take, you know. Right. And, uh, and then we, gotta, we have to train ourselves, right, to go back to... The simple steps of, you know, you know, like Paul says, examine yourself in the faith. Then, mm-hmm. you know, am I am I spirit filled? Am I, am mm-hmm. I filled with the knowledge of the Word of God? And, and uh, am I doing those things that the Scripture teaches us to do? And that's very hard to do in a, a big trial, right, or, or a big huge decision. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, so. But, I mean, obviously that didn't change the correct answer. The correct answer is always the Word of God. <laughs> right. right? And, and there's, you just have to keep re- reminding yourself. And, and this is a good thing about this kind of study is that to know, not, no, don't be trying to go out there and figure out the decree of will of God, right? Because nowhere in Scripture does it tell us to go search out the secret will of God. Right. And only rely on those things that he's revealed, as the scroll said so eloquently. So, but I do, I do know from personal experience, certainly, that trial can cloud even the judgment of a, of a faithful Christian who's in the Word of God. Mm. So I know I had, I had lost my oldest son four years ago, mm. and um, and it was only because I had studied Scripture the previous thirty years that that when I didn't feel like picking up the book. It would remind me of those things. It really does speak to you as the scripture teaches that that uh, that God is faithful. Mm-hmm. You know, that God is loving, is benevolent, in spite of what the enemy would say to us. Mm-hmm. We still have all these because we were, you know, our society. And I'll stop after this. But our society and and our tendencies rely on our emotions, right? Mm. And, yeah. and they're constantly telling us things our emotions are, except for they're all unreliable. Right, and uh, but they're they're so real to us because they're part of us, right? But we have to train ourselves through the Word of God to keep relying on this is the will of God for you, you mm-hmm. know, whatever whether it's sanctification or right. whatever it is. Yeah, and I think it's funny sometimes how we uh, we don't intend to do it, but we kind of balk at the freedom Christ has given us. It's like uh, we can't handle the idea that we can make a choice and still. You know, be pleasing to God and honoring God in either of those decisions. Got to be more than that. Yeah, there there, there has to be a one right answer. You know, the one job I must take, the one person I must marry. 
um, we struggle with having freedom. Uh, it's, just, it's just funny how our human nature, <laughs> broken human nature is that way. Yeah, it is. It's true. Yeah. All right, next question. Um, how has God revealed himself in creation and in the Bible? And in what way has he hidden himself? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think one of the most interesting ways that God has more or less hidden themselves in the scriptures is in the book of Esther. You know, that's like a common, yeah. common said thing that you know God is all throughout it, but he's never mentioned once. Right. And a good parallel to that is is Christ is all throughout the Old Testament, but you'll never see him by name. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, what are differences between the pre, uh, preceptive and decretive will of God? There's a typo there. It shouldn't say perceptive. It should say preceptive. My uh, spell checker kept trying to change it on me, so <laughs> I missed that one. Yeah, it did not like the word preceptive. Um, so what is the difference between preceptive and decretive will of God? Right, so in the preceptive, we see it is um, what uh, God, like you said, it, it's revealed in, in the law, it's revealed for what he desires us to do, to obey the law, to obey his word, to glorify him, um, to uh, you know, live for our own sanctification, um, and that is something we often resist. We do it all the time. We resist that. Um, Whereas the decretive will of God is something he has spoken into existence. Um, it cannot be resisted. It has or will happen. Um, okay, what are examples of topics in Scripture that God has whispered about instead of shouted about? If that makes sense. Things that aren't just... Christ in the Old Testament. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> right there. <laughs> Um, okay, so let me finish the question then. How should God's relative silence on the topic guide us as we take a stand on that topic? Hmm. That's how I want to answer that. Yeah. <laughs> right, in Micah, you know, he's asking, Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of oil, rivers of oil? Shall I hear my firstborn for my transgression? fruit of my body for the sin of my soul. He has told you, O oh man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice and to love kindness and to love more comely with your God. Yeah. That's a, that's a good one, to do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. Um. I think a lot of times, you know, just the different encounters and stuff that I've had with people, especially when I used to go to college campus back from where we're from, um, every now and then you get kind of face to face with one of the like, conspiracy theorists, for example, and like you know 
there's especially a really big thing about the end times, you know. Mm. Like when, when is it going to happen? How's it going to happen? And so on and so forth. And, you know, even Jesus said that not the man, the Son of Man, knows the day or the hour of the Father above. Right. Um, and I think that, you know, a lot of times whenever God closes his mouth on, on things, that tells us it's really not something to argue about. We run down rabbit trails and everything because a lot of times whenever people get hung up on those things, Mm-hmm. It's like suddenly, you know, you go from having a conversation about salvation and the Lord and so on, and now you're, you know, halfway off into politics that mm-hmm. don't really matter all that much if you're asking the things. You know? But now that, that's that's actually a good topic to, to look at with this question. I mean, just eschatology. Um, so that is, the, you know, the hidden will of God, right? Much of it is. And uh, yet we often get so divisive and find ways to... To argue about that, um, uh, and yet we we cannot be none of us can be dogmatic in our interpretation of eschatology, um, or we shouldn't be. I've met people who are, <laughs> but we shouldn't be. Um, Paul Washer is my favorite person. He said it the best. I felt like you know he was talking about how a lot of times you know he'll be walking out of church and everything and a bunch of the young the younger men will be kind of gathered around in a group and arguing about eschatology and this, that and the other, and then they turn around and ask him and they say, Brother Paul, what do you think about this? And he would always say, Brothers, whenever the Lord comes back, we're all gonna think the same exact thing. I'm just trying to figure out how to love my wife. (laughs) I always really like how simple he put it. It's it's true. I mean it's we why would we worry so much about you know the exact timing and all the things that are happening in our society and our culture right now pointing towards the demise of existence or the demise of the country even or the demise of this or that? Mm-hmm. Whenever it's such a monumentally difficult thing to just love your wife as Christ loves the church, mm-hmm. you know, or to just fight that flesh, or even just to study the Word day by day and meditate upon it and try to apply it to your life. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. So there's almost like this this thing that kind of feeds our flesh and is seeking after those things that are esoteric and, you know, lofty and mystical and things like that. Sure. There's like kind of like a pride in it, you know what I'm saying? Or like I know something that you don't know. <laughs> I figured this out. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right, a last one, which actually kind of uh, ties into last session, so we'll see if uh, how your memories are. Um, explain how God is not unjust by not electing everyone to salvation. That's all you forgot. <laughs> you forgot already. <laughs> well, that's just uh, Romans 9, right? <laughs> I have mercy on you, I have mercy. Yeah, Hosea, I will call them my people whom I choose to call my people. Um, but yeah, we talked about in last session, if, if you've forgotten how there's um, there's the... The justice of God, and then outside of the justice of God, there's what he called non-justice. Not injustice, non-justice. Meaning it's not within the justice of God, but it's not injustice. And in that area, you have mercy. So, those who get what they deserve, get justice. Those who, through mercy and grace, don't get what they deserve, it's non-justice, but it's not injustice. Right? So injustice would be to flip it, like if um, someone didn't deserve someone something and you applied it to them anyway, that would be injustice. Um, so we certainly cannot call mercy injustice. Well, I like the, the way that, I 
where I'm always a big fan of like big crayon picture type stuff, you know? Um, and uh, the kids, they watched this Wrathing um, Grace kind of took um, A.W. Pink's Attributes of God and like simplified it down to a child's view. Right? Yeah. So they got one of the, um, I think it's in the will of God, or God's will or something like that, but it talks about election. And the way they explains it is just like, imagine you had someone that came and you were, they were supposed to come and mow your lawn. And instead of mowing your lawn, they just completely messed it all up and left rocks all over the place and trashed it and everything else. And you decided to pay them anyways. You know, that's kind of like the, you know, God's mercy and election and things where, mm. you know, it, it wouldn't be right if someone came and messed up your lawn and they demanded payment from you, you know. And I think that's kind of the way that, you know, a lot of the, um, I guess, Armenian denominations and thought processes and things like that kind of fall into is like, well, you know, I prayed this prayer and I said these magical words mm -hmm. and I did this thing, so therefore God is beholding to me for what I've done, you know, because I've made that choice. They made it, made it a matter of works now, right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. You know, and that's kind of, what, I guess that's the way that I always kind of pulled it down for myself and understood it is that, you know, the, like you said, and like Dr. Scroll said last session, um, you know, the, the just thing, you know, don't ever pray asking for God to give, give me what I deserve. Because the just thing would be for God to just completely wipe out the entire planet. Yeah. Know it, you know, um, because you know, Romans 3 says that no one is righteous, no one is good, no one seeks for mm. God. So no one does anything right, no one does anything good. Everybody does everything that we possibly can, even our best intentions, to still be sinful. You know? Right. So it wouldn't be right for us to demand salvation from God, but rather it is gracious and merciful with God in that section of <laughs> yeah. justice. You know? Yeah, and like you said, the last thing you want applied to yourself personally is justice. Right. You don't want what you deserve, trust right. me. So, um, yeah, good discussion. All right, any, any other thoughts on what we looked at tonight? Learned. Mm -hmm. You know, I've never heard it explained like that. And that just, well, that just seemed, I'm skinny, I'm a big, big crayon guy. <laughs> very simple to understand and remember, you know. Um, so a lot of times I kind of get lost in all the big words of theology and everything and all the different, you know, explanations and sure. definitions and so on and so forth. And, you know, wherever you get someone like Dr. Sproul or, John Calvin, you know, just kind of lay something out there very clear and succinct. I like that. So I think we can kind of sum up this session by by asking: next time somebody asks you, "What is the will of God for them?" What's your answer to them going to be? The Bible. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, it's good that it's explained clearly like this. I mean. I think especially needs to be explained to young people or new Christians, right? Because, yeah. you know, I remember when I got saved in the mid-80s, the, you know, I, I was introduced to MacArthur, and many of the things were very helpful to me uh, practically. But if you don't understand the difference between, you know, if you don't understand 20, Deuteronomy 29 and 29, 
that makes it more difficult for the Christian to make a decision, right? Who has not been trained sure. yet yeah. by the Scripture. So this, this is one of the, to me, one of them. Especially if, you know, in my case, I came from a really chaotic upbringing, you know. There was no parental guidance or anything like that. So, yeah, I remember uh, I didn't even know there was an air conditioner filter in the air conditioner. <laughs> when, when I first got married, I, my air conditioner stopped working. And uh, I called up my mentor, you know, who had preached that sermon where I got saved and all that. And he still is a tomball. We're still very close. I've been many years. And he, I said, hey, my air conditioner is, is, is out. And he said, did you change the filter? I said, what filter? <laughs> <laughs> so he came over. And got up into the attic and rang in the filter. There was dust on the east side of that filter like this much. <laughs> I'm an inch and a half. Cleaned off the filter, the air conditioner worked good. You know, it's a simple thing, but right. you grow up without any kind of knowledge of that thing. And yeah. I'm just going a long way around the bar and say that, you know, this is the will of God thing here, the way it's broken down here is very, very important doctrine. Yeah. It should be something that, especially young people or brand new Christians, that, you know, that that are adults, so to speak, you know, mm. it, it would have been helpful to see it break down, broke down this way earlier on. Of course, now I know sure. it, but I did not know it at first. Sure. So, anyway. Yeah. Um. Yeah, and, and hopefully through this series we're going through, obviously we don't have time to do an exhaustive study of these each one of these topics, but... Hopefully it's kind of a lead-in or overview for each of us, maybe to, on our own, to, to study it more and to, to read more in, in Scripture about what we're, we're looking at. So, um, But yeah, I certainly agree with you, especially with new Christians. Uh, they definitely need mentorship and um, instruction, and unfortunately that's lacking in, in many churches. So, Well, they give us a survival kit. And some of that is helpful, you know. Yeah. But uh, this, you know, not to worry about what we don't know, you know, that that's that's a big help there. Just hey, you just concentrate on what you do see. Sure, there's freedom there, right? Yeah. I can I can quit wringing my hands over this stuff that God has chosen not to reveal, and I'm not supposed to know it. It's like telling so. children something. You you, can't, you don't get away with just telling them once. Yeah. You got to tell. Them. 50 times, right? I mean, yeah. <laughs> so, I think it's... 50 for a start, right? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, Josh, would you uh, close us in prayer? Yes, of course. Father, we thank Thank you for bringing us together this night as a small body to worship you by seeking after you, Lord. God, we thank you for glorifying yourself and revealing your will to us. We thank you for the amount of your character that you displayed in your word. We thank you for taking us in our heart of stone and redeeming us and giving us a heart of flesh instilling us in us the desire to seek after you. And God, we, we ask that you would forgive us in our times of slothfulness, and our laziness that you know, whenever we, we so often make up so many excuses and reasons 
We thank you for your patience in that, Lord, that you're not so quick to be angry with us, that your loving kindness extends and your mercy is never failing. God, we thank you for reassuring us and comforting us in our doubts and our concerns. And we thank you for being born in an era and a time like this that we have such accessibility to your word, Lord. And God, we, we ask that tonight that you would continue to sanctify us and grow us through this means that we would continue to know more and learn more of the word. And God, for those around the world and our brothers and sisters right now that do not have such access, Lord, we ask that you would please give them the means to do so and that you would even use what they have to reveal yourself further to them. That you would have us always lean upon your will and that you would further increase our desire to seek after you and your word. And Lord, I ask that you would please also use even these things as seeds for the gospel of my children. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.